I want to introduce you to a new way of measuring how old you are, a new way of understanding time, a new conception of age. You know, all of us have grown up thinking that time is measured from current day to back when we were born. So if you say you're 20 years old, what you mean is it's been 20 years since you were born. Or if you're 50, obviously, 50 years since you were born. But here's the thing. Why do we have to measure our age that way? Here's my question to you. Here's the hypothetical. Who's older? A 21-year-old who, without knowing, uh, is going to be killed in a car accident two years from today? Or a 60-year-old who's going to live another 30 years? Who's older? One person has two years left on the planet. The other person has 30. To me, in this new way, I want you to measure your age, a new way to measure time. The 60-year-old is way younger, 15 times younger than the person who's 21 but only has two years left on this planet. It's a strange way to think about time. But as we've been talking about in these last couple talks, I, I've uh, spoken of uh Stephen Hawking's understanding of time in his recent book, Theory of Everything, where he says, you know, trying to unravel this mystery we call time. And he said, time moves on an arrow and that arrow is always moving forward. And there's three ways we measure time, cosmological, thermodynamic and psychological, right? Psychological is what we're talking about. Societal, I could add to that. There's a societal way of measuring time, and that's from the day you're born to today. And I'm saying, by all accounts, by logic, it's an inaccurate way to really think about life because the past is really just a dream, right? I mean, just think about it. It's probably hard for you to remember back to when you were three years old. It's almost like a dream. It's like a phantom. Now, why is this important, you might be asking? Who cares how I measure time? Well, it's extremely important. It's important because it will motivate you in a different way. You see, the second philosophically you understand, oh, I'm only 18, I'm very young, you become slack. You relax. You go, I got a lot of years left. The second you're 70, I was talking to a guy who's 60 years old and becoming an entrepreneur. And he said, ah, oh, you know, I feel old. And when you're 60 years old and you haven't accomplished what you want and you think this old school, old fashioned way of time, oh, I'm 60, I'm old. You sometimes get paralyzed and you don't act because you're afraid, fear, your amygdala dominates you. So guess what? Both groups lose. The 18-year-olds are being too relaxed about life and the 60-year-olds are overreacting to time and thinking they don't have time yet. Uh, left. Both are wrong. I don't want you to be wrong about this question of how old you are. Now, for those of you kind of thinking a step ahead, you'd say, well, Ty, nobody knows how long they're going to live. So this is a pointless conversation, Ty. But I would add, no, when you're dealing with the uncertainty of not knowing how long you're going to live, remember we're talking about this new way of measuring your age. So let's say I knew that I would live another 20 years. I had some magical power. Well, then in the way I'm suggesting uh, you think about your age, you would say, I'm 20 or I have 20 years left, right? And if you only had two years left, 
You'd say I'm two. But in this new way of thought, the lower the number, the less time you have, right? So in my way of thinking, two years left is actually older than 20 years left. It's, it's, you got to think on it for a second. It's a little bit of a mind, uh, bender, right? Cause we've been, th- we've thought of our age the opposite way. No, the way to think about it is if I know I have 10 years left, then forget about my chronological, old fashioned societal way of understanding my age. Now, again, you might say, well, I don't know and nobody knows how long they're going to live. And the answer is you're absolutely correct. So this brings us to the new place, the new hypothesis, the new understanding. Well, this makes sense. You know, a 21 year old who's only going to live two years is in a way older than a 60 year old who's going to live 30 years. They got the 60 year old has a heck of a lot more time to do stuff. But uh, how will the 60 year old person ever know they have 30 years or the 18 year old ever know they have two years? Well, There's a concept, mathematical concept in a way of dealing with the uncertainty and still making the right decision. Insurance companies deal with it. So think of how insurance works. You have a, you buy a car. In California here, when you buy a car, guess what you have to do the same day you get your driver's license you or the same day you start driving? By law, you have to have insurance immediately, right? Now, why do they do that? Well, If you left people to their own devices, their own improper way of calculating risk and time, people would just not buy car insurance if they didn't have the money. And they'd go, you know what? Well, I'll get it in a few months because the odds are I'm not going to have a car crash this month, right? But the problem is insurance doesn't work that way. Insurance works around the principle that you buy it well before you need it. You buy it immediately. Because since you never know when you're going to get a car crash, you could never say, oh, I'm just going to buy it the day before I get a car crash. Uh, that would destroy the actuarial tables of insurance companies, for one. every All insurance would go bankrupt because they wouldn't collect enough premiums. But more importantly, it would be ludicrous because, you, of course, it'd make more sense. I mean, look, health insurance, the best kind of health insurance you'll ever pay for is you're perfectly healthy. You wake up with a little notion, ooh, I'm going to get sick soon. You buy insurance and then the next day, you know, you break your leg. So you only paid one premium of whatever, a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. And the insurance company has to fix your leg. I broke my ankle. It was like $8,000 or something at UCLA to fix. I was playing basketball at UCLA, broke my ankle a couple years ago, jumped up and landed on my friend's ankles. It was, I've never broken a bone playing sports. I've been playing basketball a long time and my, like my bones stuck out of my ankle. It's pretty painful, but it was 8,000 bucks. I remember, um, and my insurance covered most of it. I, I keep high deductible private insurance, you know, uh, personalized insurance, not group insurance. So my deductible is like a grand or something. So in that case, though, I had been paying on the insurance for years and years. I bought it immediately because the whole point of an accident is you don't know when it's coming. That's why it's called an accident. The same with the end of your life, death. You don't know when it's coming. So that means you must act as if it could happen at any moment. So if you're 18 years old and you're living, uh, I mean, and you're living life in kind of a lackadaisical, I got plenty of years, you must erase that mentality. You must say, you know what? It's likely 
statistically, it's likely that I'm going to live a long time, but that's only over a large group. That's only over millions of people. I don't care about millions of people. I care about myself as an individual. So if I'm 18, I'm going, I'm going to start implementing as quick as is reasonable. Now, remember, you can take this to an extreme where you go so fast and you're like, oh, I'm 20 years old and I'm so worried and I'm going to go try to you know, build my business and build my fortune and build the good life overnight. You're not going to be able to do it, but you can take action immediately. And that's the real point and the end result of this new way of thinking about time. It changes you from a procrastinator to a doer. And all great people, I was reading a, uh, a book and I forget which one it was. It was on uh, Hillary Clinton and they were talking about her work schedule. It's an amazing work schedule. Whether you like Republicans or Democrats, I'm not very political, but you have to admire the fact that Hillary Clinton wakes up at four in the morning every day, makes her phone calls at five, has meetings all day, you know, gets on Air Force One or whatever. This is back when she was the first lady. I mean, she worked and worked and worked. She was happy and fulfilled and was changing the world and was getting respect of her peers, making money, all those things that you want to do as a human. She was doing because she understood that procrastinators leave no impact in on the world. Now, let me do a little side note. Before you beat yourself up too much about being a procrastinator, don't think about it in such a moralistic way, like procrastinators bad and doers are good. It's not that simple. If you study the biology of the human body, uh, some of you have been reading, it's great at getting feedback from you, reading Dr. David Buss's book, Evolutionary Psychology, his textbook, or The Evolution of Desire. Some of you, uh, oh, by the way, I've got my on my site, tylopez.com, I've got, if you click on the book link, i got a new updated way to look at the books that I recommend. And, you know, one of those is The Story of the Human Body by Lieberman, the Harvard professor, which is a fascinating, anybody into health, I mean, that's the book almost to start with. Uh and so before you beat yourself up too much with about procrastination, just understanding, we understand we come from hunter gatherers, tribal people, your great, 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 great grandparents were living in tribes. And when you're in a tribal situation or a village, uh, you would hunt a few hours a day, you know, you'd run down antelope and deer with your spears. And this isn't, by the way, not too long ago that many groups were living like this. 1800s, Apache Indians, Navajo, they were still hunting. Apaches used to run down horses on foot to catch them. So we're not that far removed from this ancient way. And your DNA, okay, is set up still along that mentality of short bursts of work. And then you would rest a lot. Hunter-gatherers, uh, the various tribes that still exist in Southeast Asia or in Africa, Tanzania, those groups are, they rest a lot too. So a lot of what we call procrastination is because we're not built to do steady states of work. Not think of how a corporation, you know, it's like Dilbert, the cubicle. You're in there at nine in the morning and you're supposed to be working nonstop at low rates on uh, all day, five days a week, you know, 300 days a year and people burn out. So part of procrastination is a societal problem that you don't need to beat yourself up. Uh, you don't need to beat yourself up for, right? I've become a person that rests more. I interviewed uh, Ben Green Greenfield, uh, the author of the best-selling book, uh, Beyond Endurance, great book. And uh, he, you know, Ben uh, talks a lot about, in my interview, he says, you know, if I could go back 
in time as an endurance athlete, I would rest more. So procrastination at some level is natural and okay. Okay, not everybody needs to be Hillary Clinton and work 14 hours a day nonstop. But you need to be able to do it in bursts. There needs to be a time in your life where you work 14 hours a day, six days a week. And it's okay if it's six months or 12 months. Who cares? Think on the end result, right? Bill Gates worked from 20 to 30. He said, I never took a day off, not even one. There's an ancient proverb that says it's good to bear the yoke in your youth, meaning it's good to carry heavy burdens on you while you still have energy. So if you, whether you're 50 or 60, people now at 50 have energy. I'll tell you this, you're going to have a hell of a lot less energy 20 years from now than you have today. I don't care what your age you are today. You know, If you're 20, you're going to have less energy when you're 40. If you're listening to this and you're 60, you're going to have a heck of a lot less energy at 80. So my advice to you is uh, borrow a little bit from the Hillary Clinton, no procrastination, steady state, working hard, but also understand your genes are designed to be able to have periods of rest. Okay, so again, it's back to Aristotle. I put this, uh, what I'm talking about now, I sent out in, in the book book of the day email a few days ago uh, for those of you that are on it. If you're not on it, recommend. It's free. It's on my site, tylopez.com. Ty uh, Ty Just put in your email there. And I was talking about uh, this understanding, whether we're talking about being too much in a rush because you're freaked out because you're 60 years old and you think you have no time yet left, you think you're so old or you're 18 and you're totally relaxed, overly relaxed, or you're super procrastinator, you know, you're like a hunter-gatherer that just lays in bed 20 hours a week a day, that's too much, or you're somebody that's expecting your body to hold up 14 hours a week, uh 14 hours a day for 10 years, you're not going to do it. Although Bill Gates did it <laughs> for 10 years and got a pretty big result. But, you know, he didn't do it for 30 years. And you're going to have to understand balance. You're going to have to understand the wisdom of being in between. And uh, if you read the, the Buddha, you know, in in one of his first teachings, I can't pronounce it. It's the Dhamma Kapatavana Sutta. He talks about the middle way. That was this way of understanding, not procrastinating too much, but resting when you need to. Not being in too much of a hurry, but being in a hurry enough that you take your life seriously. Uh, Aristotle in his, you know, great book, uh, one of his great works, he speaks on the mean. And what he meant by that was the average between two extremes. And he said, virtue is a mean or an average between two vices, the one involving excess, the other deficiency. It is no easy task to be good for in everything. It is no easy task to find the middle. You see, this is what I was reading in my, my morning reading, as you guys know, I recommend you read a classic book each morning, even if it's five, ten minutes over breakfast. And I was reading uh, his book on ethics, and this is what he says. See, he says it's not easy to be good or great at stuff because it's not easy to find the middle. He said because, for example, anyone can get angry. That's easy. Or everybody can give away their money or everybody can spend their money. That's the two extremes, right? Giving away all your money or spending all your money. He goes, but to do this to the right person, to the right extent, at the right time, with the right motive, and in the right way, that is not easy. So he says goodness is both rare and laudable and noble, right? Finding the middle path, 
Not understanding time always like everybody else, which is counting back to your the day you came out of your mother's womb, right? But also understanding the other side, that it's you must measure the days by the days you have left. And you must find this amazingly hard but possible. I shouldn't say amazingly hard. It's actually not that hard. What's hard is to get to this mental place. And if you're listening to this and you're understanding what I'm saying, you've already done most of the hard part. Just remember, most people out there in the world are just wandering through life, wondering what what's happening, right? They're living lives of quiet desperation. But the fact that you're even listening to this, you probably overcome the biggest hurdle. That's just getting into a place where you're humble enough to listen to great people like Aristotle, where he said, if you want the good life, and Aristotle is one of the originators of the concept of, of the good life. He called it eudaimonia. That was the Greek word for it. And it meant excellence or good life. Okay? And he was talking about a life of fulfillment. The fact that you're even listening to this, that's the good news. But remember, you must be a person that's able to find the middle way. And when it comes to time, there is a middle way. When it, when it comes to you prioritizing your life, there is a middle way. It's not too much in a rush. You and I all have friends that move from one thing to another, but it's also understanding. You can go so much faster than you possibly can imagine. I did a little experiment. My buddy was down in town uh, from San Fran, one of the top entrepreneurs in the world. He comes down once every couple months and we're talking, but even then I didn't want to get off my schedule of reading a book a day, but I was like, you know, Getting a lot of feedback. People are like, wow, it's amazing you read a book a day. I mean, so many people are incredulous when I say this, like it's such a great accomplishment. And I said to my buddy, I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go. I'll be back in an hour. So I went up in my room and I've been practicing this. Instead of reading in a chair, because by the way, sitting is horrible for your body. Don't ever sit. Uh, I read good, good research and good science is now saying two hours in a chair can't be, I'm sorry, eight hours in a chair at work. Even if you work out two hours a day in a gym, it will not overcome the negative effects of sitting. So what I like to do when I read now uh, is lay down on a couch or bed or even on the floor and I elevate my feet. There's a lot of good science about elevating your feet, letting some, uh, let, you know, letting the circulation change a little bit there in your body. So I went up in my room and I was like, you know what? Everyone thinks a book a day is so hard. Let me push the limits. So I grabbed five books. Uh, I, I pulled out, got five books. I posted it for those of you who follow my lifestyle. It's on my Instagram and my Facebook. My, my Instagram is Ty Lopez and the number one. And my, uh, my, uh, Facebook fan page is, uh, Ty Lopez official. So you can see this. I put I posted my book list. So I, I grabbed uh, five books. One was Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. One was called China's Second Continent by Howard French. I read By the Spear by Ian Worthington. The Secret Club That Runs the World by Kate Kelly. And How to Not Be Wrong by Jordan Ellenberg. Five books. And I said, everyone says one book. I'm just going to blow this out of the water. Time is short. There's so much to read, so much to learn, so much I need to understand so that I can live the good life for myself. I'm just going to push the limits. And I read five books in 45 minutes, a little over 45 minutes. And I read most of it. There, I always skip some. Um, By the Spear is like a history book of Arist of, uh, of uh, 
Alexander the Great, which, by the way, is a fascinating story. And on a side note to that, uh, by the spear uh, is how Alexander the Great conquered the world. By the time he was 30, I think, or even younger in his early 20s, he'd already conquered the world. See, he understood time was short. And sure enough, he didn't live that long. I think he died in his early 30s. I should know this, I know, but my history... It's pretty good, but sometimes I, <laughs> I read a lot of y'all blurs together. But, uh, the cool thing about Alexander the Great is how did he become great? Well, when he was young, his father, Philip of Macedonia, guess what he did? He brought a mentor in to train, uh, his son, even when he was young. And guess who that mentor was? Aristotle. Isn't that amazing? Imagine if <laughs> none of us have been that lucky when the number one thinker almost in history had been your personal tutor, but he was. And, so I read these five books and one of them, and like I said, I, on the history books, sometimes I skip around, but I got the main point and the, I, and I, when I speed read, I've now built up a skill. It's kind of like bodybuilding. My, uh, Rome, the guy who, who I have, a uh, like a bouncer guy when I do parties at my house, he's, those of you who have been to my house parties, you know, I get four or 500 people there. So I need to have some security and Rome, uh, he used to do, I think he was Kim Kardashian, did bodyguard for her. And I met him years ago and he's this massive guy. He's six, seven maybe. And he's, he weighs 305 pounds and he's, he's got 23 inch bicep, 22 to 23 inch biceps, which are basically bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger's. And I was talking to him about the other Thursday at my party and I was like, Rome, how much do you bench? And he was like, well, at my peak, I was benching 550 pounds. He said, now I can only bench about 430, which is, <laughs> for those of you who know bench press, that's a lot of weight. He could bench 430 like it's nothing. But I asked him, and just like everybody, just like everything important, he started benching 100 pounds, and then 150, and then 200, and he built up to it. So if you're reading and you're trying to keep up with me with reading, don't try to compete with me. The competition is with yourself, and just understand, put in more reps and more sets, and you will build up to the ability to not only speed read, but actually read. I now don't speed read very much. I just literally read extremely quickly and I don't skim that much. But so I read these five books and I, I realized most of the problem with us procrastinating or with time or not accomplishing is we set what Peter Drucker, as you guys know, has called disabling ignorance into our lives. We set up ourselves for failure by just saying, oh, can't do it. Someone I posted uh, after that. So I read the five books. The next day I said, forget five books. I'm going to see how far I can push this. So I've, I'm now on a 16-book challenge. I've laid out 16 books I'm going to read. Now, I can't read those all in an hour, uh, but I'm setting like a two-day goal for myself to go through. I think it's reality I've been pretty busy. It's going to take me three days. I'm reading uh, uh, A Long Way Gone. The story of this African kid, nickel and dime, the invisible gorilla, the how of, uh, the how of happiness, the scent of money, crush it, inheritance, erotic engine, Jack Welch on winning, listen out loud, Ken Follett book, the real story of risk, flourish by Seligman, wisdom of psychopaths, Andy Warhol's philosophy, and ninety percent of everything. So I'm just going to push the limits. I suggest you do the same. That's what I mean by time. Once you realize that you don't know how long you have left. You, it's okay to freak out a little bit as long as the freak out doesn't paralyze you because for many people it paralyzes you. But as long as the freak out moves you towards action, it's great. Start challenging yourself. Go, hey, you know, I've been going to the gym for an hour. Go one time for eight hours. 
Why? Just to see if it can be done. Become an experimenter. Become, a, become somebody who puts a hypothesis out and tries to disprove it. Why not? I'm not asking you to do that every day. A lot of you are parents. And so you say, I get this feedback a lot and I, I understand it, right? And they people say, I just can't read that much, Ty. I can't learn that much because I have kids. Well, is that really true? Are there no people out there that are able to pull it all together? Maybe set up a time with your kids. Depending on what, I mean, if they're newborns, this would be hard. But if you got five-year-olds, be like, train your kids young to have an hour a day a reading session. And of course, they might fall asleep reading, but give them a whole bunch of books. And and at if they're 10 years old, say we all have, and you lay down in the same room with them and you fall asleep and you'll take a nap and you'll start reading. And if you can put that habit deeply into your child's brain, they're going to thank you one day. You're going to be thankful one day that you have the discipline to do it. So take it, instead of being disablingly ignorant and saying, well, you know, I, I have kids, so I can't do it. Create the integrated life. I talk about that in other places, but the integrated life, integrate your kids into what you're trying to do. That's why they're kids. They're going to learn from you. Don't ever learn from your, I mean, one thing, I'm not an expert on raising kids, but I've been around some of the greatest people. I mean, the Amish, the best thing about the Amish is how they raise their kids. The happiest kids, people on farms that not even Amish people, just when I spent 10 years on farms, I saw, and what did they do? And what has been done throughout history, okay, is integrating your kids into what you're doing. And it might be hard, and I'm not saying I have all the answers. It's certainly not my area of expertise, but I do have six brothers, five of them younger than me, and I raised a good bit of them. So I I was kind of like a dad to my uh, five younger brothers. So I've seen some of this work. Just kids want to jump in. That For some of you, that's your disabling years. For some of you, it's dieting. You're like, I can't lose weight. Well, you know what? I bet you can. If you got dropped off on a desert island accidentally, like lost or whatever, I bet you when I picked you up in uh, a year, if you had survived that long, you'd weigh a hell of a lot, a lot less weight. Do those things. Stop with the time thing. Time is finite. And, and I'll tell you an interesting thing as... Uh, um, I, I was reading and kind of researching this subject for my book of the day email the other day. Um, I stumbled upon, uh, this kind of a couple poems. Some of them, one of them, you know, the serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the same thing about this concept of time. So you, you need to pray. Whoever you pray to, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things about time that I cannot change, to accept them and go, I wasted some years. And the courage to change and use the time that I have left and the wisdom to know the difference. And there was an old Mother Goose poem that was similar. It said, for every ailment under the sun, there is a remedy or there is none. If there be one, try to find it. If there be none, never mind it. I'll try to put this in the show notes. For those of you who are following along, I'll link. The, uh, I'll have links to the books that I talk about and so on. Those are up from the time you hear this. I try to get the show notes up within a week on my site, tylopez.com. Uh, so you can check out in the uh, in the show notes that, that area. But this concept of time is extremely important of you finding that balance. 
of understanding. You probably got some years left, but you don't have as many as you think. I can guarantee you that. Just because the average person lives to, you know, 78 or 80 years old, that has no, there is no average. You're not average. I guarantee you, you're not actually average. You may live longer, you may live shorter. The odds of you living up to the exact projected age are infinitely low. Stephen ha- uh, Covey, you know, is, is best selling seven habits of highly effective people. You got to change the things within your power. That's the first of his seven habits. If you remember that book, right? I was looking at Kuntiki. And for those of you who know, I recommend that at night, uh, you read a, a, what I call a courage book or a biography is, is the common way to say it. I don't call them biographies. I'll call them courage building books because the best way for you to build courage, which you will need in life is to have courage rub off on you. And, and one of the books in my, on tylopez.com in the, in the book list, uh, that I recommend is Kuntiki. And there's this great quote on the, in the introduction, uh, it says where Thor Heyerdahl, the great explorer, he says, some people believe in fate. Others do. I'm sorry. Some people believe in fate. Others don't. I do. And I don't. It may seem at times as if invisible fingers move us about like puppets on strings. But for sure, we are not born to be dragged along. We can grab the strings ourselves and adjust our course at every crossroad or take off at any little trail into the unknown. You see... There is an element to time that is outside of your control. None of us knows the day. <laughs> I think it was uh, Charlie Munger who always says, I've been trying to figure out uh, where I'm going to die and make sure I never go there. You know, it's, he says that tongue in cheek because that's not possible. There's an element to fate. For those of you who are religious and spiritual, that's a God. That's like the Amish say, Galassenheit. Giving up to God, giving up to a fate that's bigger than you. But yet, like Thor Heyerdahl says in Kuntiki, we are able to grab these strings. We are not just puppets. You know, like in Pinocchio where the, I think it was Geppetto had the strings of Pinocchio and he could control Pinocchio. But that's not how it is. It's, that's part of the story. There is some control. If you read the Greek classics, you know, the Aeneid or the Odyssey, it's all these stories of how the gods are playing with life. If you read, you know, Zeus and all these, they were interjecting into humans' lives these kind of fateful events. And there's some truth to that. And that's why humans have always believed that. There is some invisible hand moving, whether you believe in... I was talking to a... My friend was telling me his uh, his buddy just got published in Nature, which is basically the most esteemed science scientific journal and his buddy had a new conjecture as to where the universe comes from you know atheists and scientists often believe it comes from the big bang some religious people do too and this guy had a new theory that we are a thin film on laying on the uh, event horizon of a black hole and it's like a fourth dimensional one and we lost one of them and now we're a three-dimensional world we're just a little blip on a black hole like our whole universe is just on a black hole of course it's a hypothesis right never will be proven uh at least not in our time there'd be no way to prove it the point being sure every person every person with a brain whether they be the dalai lama 
uh, religious person, religious teacher, spiritual person, new age person, atheist or agnostic, we understand that there is a certain puppet element to our lives. You did not control who you were born to. I just read this book, Inheritance. Amazing book, by the way. I highly recommend It's one of the ones in the... It's funny. I was doing the 16-book challenge, which means I was going to read really fast. And the first book I stumbled upon was this, uh, was this book, Inheritance, on how our genes work. It was, it's by the uh, Dr. Molem, Molem. And it was so fascinating because genes... Um, you know, we've traditionally, like Mendel, the, the person that did the experiment, the monk on peas, where we first begin to understand genetics and how things work. We've had this understanding that the way genes work are somehow very fixed. Like you're born into parents that have blonde hair and you're going to have blonde hair or they're tall or they're short or they're, they've had cancer, so you're more likely, or they're obese. And we've always had this very fixed understanding. That's like what Contiki was saying, the, the fate and the, the, the strings controlling you. But what we're now, the newest science coming out, uh, is this understanding epigenics, I, I think that's how you pronounce it. And uh, what that is, is that genes are waiting there. And depending on the environment that you put them in, they can express themselves, okay, in different way in uh, different ways. So for example, you could be born um, with, let's say, tendencies toward cancer, but given a diet, they can completely never express at all, right? They can completely, uh, it's epigenetics, by the way, sorry, I pronounced it wrong. Uh, is a study of heritability and the expression in real time. That means for example, he said, if you go on a vacation, you don't realize you just change literally, not only how your genes express themselves, but literally you change yourself on a, on a genetic level. He said, well, getting in the airplane alters your genes, the stress levels that come from them, the change in cortisol, because the, and I'm not going to get into the technical of how it happens because I am not a doctor, uh, but, and I'll let you read the book for the true expert, but I understand his general point, you know, Going to the Bahamas and laying in the sun, that sun exposure, when it's too much of it, you're literally expressing through the stress on your skin, which is then this, uh, the, the, you know, happens at a cellular level. And then the cell is, is made up of smaller parts and all the way down, smaller and smaller and smaller till you get to this genetic part, this DNA part. They're changing. It's adapting. And the interesting thing is, be careful what you do because they took twins and they had one who was bullied uh, as 10, 12, 13, 14 year old and another one who wasn't. And even when the bullying stopped, the DNA hard coding of how they called it like cortisol resistance was never uh, functioned as well in that bullied child. It was an issue. That bullied child was more likely to become alcoholic and depressed. Now, the good news is once again, there's things you can do to mitigate against that and change yourself genetically. So you see this Contiki, even though this book was written, I mean, Thor Heyerdahl's back, you know, 50, 60 years ago, uh, he was right. We can grab the strings of our own DNA and whether or not our parents had cancer or not, we can take those strings back and not live a deterministic fate, 
right? You have that capability, but it will only start when you recognize and you respect time. You, you know, uh, in my inner circle, uh, for some of you, I've got this business academy also. Some of you are in there. Some of you are in inner circle. In the business academy, I've got this. Basically, it's like a mini NBA program, mini business school. And one of the things that I, I talk about is respect the seasons of life. I remember when I worked on Joel Salatin's farm, Polyface, in, uh, out in Virginia when I was a teenager. And boy, a big, uh, they, they were like, Hey, Todd, can you watch the farm for us? In the winter, we're all going to take a trip. Joel's speaking in Australia. So I was like, sure, what could go wrong, right? And I was in that little, he has this old, old house built in the 1760s, an old log house. And I was staying there while they were gone. And the biggest snowstorm, the biggest winter in 200 years came while I was there. And of course, I had to take care of the whole farm. And the way Joel does like pastured farming where the animals are outside, kind of like free range, pasture based. So all these animals are like half a mile from the house. 200 uh, year record breaking storm come, eight foot drifts. I'm walking, spending eight hours a day. I know a lot of people say, oh, I live in the cold and I'm tough. I'm like, yeah, but try to work out in it. Eight hours a day, the pigs, the chickens, all this. So I learn you respect the seasons of life. <laughs> you better respect the winter of your life because when winter comes, you can't prepare for it. When winter comes, you either starve or die. I mean, you either starve or thrive based on what you did before. When that spring comes, you better respect it. When If you're in the summer of your life, you better respect it. And for those of you who want to learn a lot about this, check out the mini MBA. It's the Mentor Academy. I call it different names, Mentor, you know, Academy, Business School, mini MBA. Uh, that's a good place for those who are starting off. For those of you who want to apply, it's invitation only into the Inner Circle program, which is more advanced. If you're further along in business and further along with what you're doing, it's not just business, but it's got a heavy emphasis on business. Um, I've got some other things for people who are not entrepreneurs, but that inner circle, you can apply for that on tylopez.com or you can just email uh, me at ty at tylopez.com. By the way, a lot of you are members on my site. It's free to have a membership uh, when you join the book of the day. An, uh, an account is automatically f- created for you on tylopez.com. Email me on the inbox because a lot of you are reaching out to me in different ways. I reply to those. I can get you an answer. I can even leave you a voice memo. Uh, and that's the easiest way. I get hundreds of people contacting me. It's hard for me to always, you know, go into my support inbox and answer. Or my staff can do it. But if you want to hear from me, if you go to tylopez.com and you enter your email there, you'll get the 67 step. By the way, we're putting out a new 67 step. So some of you haven't gotten it yet. It's because we pulled it while we re-edited it. And we got a new one coming out this week. Just waiting for the designer to finish the design. It's pretty cool. So you'll get access to the 67 steps when you join and be on my book of the day. That's all free. And you'll get free access to talk to me. It's There's a little inbox link. You'll get a welcome message automatically from me. If you reply to that, I do check it. So back to this understanding of respecting the seasons of your life respecting time, yet knowing that you can still fiddle with the, the strings of your life. I don't care if you are 60 years old, like this guy I talked to earlier today out of Virginia. You'll be all right. You don't know. You might be got a, a long life ahead of you. 
Boy, there's some genet there's some stuff they're doing on anti-aging where you'd be surprised how long we might live. I mean, we already live pretty long compared to 50,000 years ago. People were lucky to live into their 20s, right? Stop thinking about the old way of thinking about time. Go back to the I don't know when I'm going to die, which means life is serious. It means I got to be like the insurance company, the way that they recommend and the way they insure people, which is since you don't know the day that the crash comes, you prepare for it immediately. And I'm not saying you have to have a morbid, weird, dark way of understanding life. You don't have to just be going, ooh, I might die today. You know, you hear this theory where people are like, what would you do if today was your last day on earth? Well, I like where they're trying to go with that, but please understand, I'm not saying the same thing. I am not asking you to live as if today is your last day on earth. It's unrealistic. Statistically, today isn't your last day on earth, okay? But I'm asking you to make haste slowly. I'm asking you to not procrastinate on the things that you know you should, that are in your control. I'm asking you to build wisdom in your brain, remove disabling ignorance, add new things into it. I'm going to be talking about that coming up in the next couple shows. And I, uh, this is also an inner circle. This, you know, not only adding new things to your brain, but removing disablingly ignorant things uh, out of your mind. So you have to not necessarily embrace this idea of today's your last day on earth. Because I mean, look, if today's your last day on earth, you'd probably spend all your money. <laughs> because it's like, ah, I mean, you may leave some to your kids or whatever, but you'd probably spend a lot of money. I don't want you thinking like that. Today's probably not your last day on earth, so you need to save some money for the future. This whole YOLO, you only live once, Drake, you know, hip-hop. It's not even hip-hop. It's everybody. It's rock and roll. It's hip-hop. It's pop culture. It's media telling you, hey, you know, you only live once. Today's the only day. Live today like it's your last. Well, I don't want that because, again, that's ignoring what Aristotle said. It's the balance between, right? Just living like today's your last day is not balanced because you got to also pretend like today is one of the next 50 years of your life. So you got to find the balance. What does a life look like that's in balance like that? Well, think about it. It's not that hard. It's common sense. If you knew you might die today, but you might live 50 years, you'd do some things, uh, some part of your day would be devoted to the uh, the philosophy of, okay, this might be my last day. And some of your day would be an investor investing for the next 50 years. That's what you got to do. I don't know why. Well, I, we do know why. The human brain, one of the 25 cognitive biases that Cialdini talks about, that Charlie Munger talks about, uh, that this great new book that I was just telling you I was reading uh, on the math of it's called How to Never Make Mistakes, and he was talking about how we misinterpret uh, things around us. You know, if you know that you're going to live 50 years or there's a possibility, you'll you'll kind of invest some of your life. You know, you'll invest some money. You'll save some money. You will read a book to learn something about tomorrow. You'll listen to an audio. You'll call an old friend that you want to invest in that relationship. That Keith Ferrazzi book I, I read, How to Never Live Alone, that was smart, where he talked about uh, you know, how important it is to uh continually reinvest in people. You know, not forget old friends, have a spreadsheet. It's funny, he has a spreadsheet, I do the same thing. You're an investor, right? So you're investing socially in people. 
If you knew you were going to die in 50 years, you'd probably go to the gym. You probably wouldn't eat that burger because you know that burger is going to, you know, clog up your arteries over time. But at the same, you don't only want to be an investor, although investor is generally a great way to think about it. (laughs) It's better to be more investor than consumer, but it's okay to be somewhat of a consumer too. It's the balance. I'm not big on being uh, like most people in the world now, which is 90% consumer driven mentality. Just eat whatever junk you want to do. Sit around. YOLO. This is my last day on earth. I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to, you know, go on vacation, not care about investing in my, no, that's, it's too much extreme now. So what you got to be is that place in between. So today, make sure you invest a little money. Make sure you invest a little in your body, which is lift some weights, do some push-ups. When it comes to social, invest in some people. Invest, look through your new acquaintances or your old friends. Who's somebody there that you're squandering the time or the potential of that relationship by not even keeping up with them? Double down on them. How about happiness? Do something that we know will make you happy. Do some charity work. Invest in the future of the world too. Now on the flip side, spend a little bit of time today being a consumer. Do a little bit of things that make you feel good. You know, it's okay. Eat a chocolate-covered strawberry once in a while. You don't need to be just pure Epicurean or pure Stoic. It's okay. You know, yesterday I I went to a movie. I work hard, but I was like, "Ah," and I went to a stupid movie. I went to see, uh, what was it? Think Like a Man 2 with Kevin Hart. I mean, it's not a stupid movie. It accomplished what its goal was. It's just pure entertainment. And the way I look at it, I spent two or three hours doing that, and it was humans need to decompress. I decompressed. It wasn't a real investment in my future. I was talking, I invited some people to a movie. It wasn't this movie, but a similarly kind of dumb entertainment. And they were like, it was Edge of Tomorrow. I invited this one girl I know, a friend of mine, and she was like, I'll never go. It's such a waste of time. And I'm like, she's like, how do you, can you go to those movies? They're, they're, there's no value long term. And I'm like, yeah, because I go to them as a consumer because I'm balanced because there is truth that today could be my last day on earth. And if today is my last day on earth, it's okay to spend a little bit of time doing something that I'm not investing in the future. Like I already worked out. I already read a book today. I already spent 10 hours working on my business. I already spent time with friends, family. I already doubled. I made sure I was making money investing in the future. So it's okay. Now, if you want to know a, a rule of thumb, I would recommend this, that at the minimum, you have a two to one ratio, meaning you're two times the investor than you are the consumer. So if you have 16 hours awake in a day, now you really have 24 hours. So the eight hours you sleep, don't forget, that's an investor. Some people are like, oh, I don't, I don't sleep because I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, that's stupid because if you don't sleep, you're going to die young and you're also going to not be that productive. So sleep. There's a few people on the planet. You know, George Clooney, I read, he only says he needs four or five hours sleep. Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't sleep much. Michael Jordan would sleep two or three hours, but there, that's that's outside of the normal curve. Most of us, make sure you're doubling down on your body as an investor and sleeping. I find I sleep eight hours. I basically, whatever time I go to bed, I try to at least not wake up for eight hours. That's for me. You find the balance. But, so that leaves me, it's like I got 24 hours in a day. I basically want to spend at least 16 of those hours as an investor into my own life, into my future, and no more than eight hours as, you know, just doing fun stuff and being a consumer. 
Okay, so that ratio is even high. I think for myself, I like to do about four hours a day. So you can get toughen up. It depends on the results you want. But I wouldn't spend more than four or five hours as a consumer. Remember, investing in your kids, if you've got kids, that's not a consumer. I'm talking about consumer I define as things that just make you feel good. They're just kind of your selfish things you like to do. Okay? That ratio. It's even with diet. My mom was extremely healthy and, you know, my dad was a professional athlete and, and my mom was very, I mean, one professional athlete, but was on the level of that he was and learned a lot from him. My mom's like, look, Ty, with diet, it's not what you eat 90% of the time that kills you. I mean, not what you eat 10% of the time, it's what you eat 90% of your time. What my mom was really saying is make 90% of your diet an investor diet. I just had, before I recorded this, I had a beet shake. It's not my favorite. Uh, but it's very healthy. In fact, uh, one of the healthiest things in this inheritance book, he was talking about all the different theories and supplements people take. And he was talking about how genetically supplements oftentimes aren't as healthy as you think. But one thing that's very healthy is spinach. <laughs> my mom was little. She used to get me with the whole Popeye thing. That's how my mom would trick me into eating avocados. I remember she would tell me I'd be, if I ate the avocados, I'd be green like the Hulk. And I remember eating them and looking down at my skin and being like, yeah. Pretty sure I'm becoming greener and tougher. But uh, spinach is the same thing. Genetically, uh, even as book inheritance, there's actual uh, anti-aging or real, real benefits from green tea and uh, spinach. So I don't like spinach. <laughs> I've learned. I've tried every little thing and I've sauteed and I have, you know, I have a cook that cooks for me every day. I just never have. So what I do now, because I don't want to be a totally consumer and just eat what I want, is I invest every day. I get them to give me a little thing of spinach. You don't have to eat tons of spinach to get the benefit. And I just swallow it real fast. <laughs> I mean, I chew it a little bit, but I don't like it. But that's the investor mentality. I'm never going to stop being an investor. I make sure I lift weights a little bit. I make sure I do pull up. Sometimes I do it. Like I said, it's okay some days to spend eight hours in the gym. Why not? You'll be fine. Go play basketball all day. Now, make sure you build up to it, by the way. You will definitely break your ankle or hurt yourself if you do too fast. But I'm saying once you've built up to it and your body's used to it, sometimes double or triple how much you consume. And sometimes take a whole day off as a full-on investor. Just I mean, sorry, as a full-on consumer, just enjoying the moment. There's nothing wrong with that. But the ratio should be definitely, I don't care how old you are, be more of an investor. You'll have a lot more happiness. We know that. So that's the good news. Being too much of a consumer. And I think it's, you know, just our hardwiring of our DNA. We were not designed to be complete, uh, consumers. There's nothing about us built to be completely consumer. And that's the good news. Like your body, for example, is very regenerative, right? It regenerates. So you're able to, uh, for example, in this book, Inheritance was talking about how our bones are continually being broken down. I forget that the, there's a, a process that's happening where there's things that come in from our DNA, from our genes that tell us break down the bones and rebuild them stronger. So your skeleton is a continual rebuilding. And in the same way, your business needs to be that continual process of breaking down and reinvesting, right? Breaking down or reinvesting. So the good news is that as you uh, act as an investor, whether that means 50 push-ups for you, whether that means taking your kid 
to uh, you know a library and getting them more uh, into reading, whether it means investing in learning a new language for yourself or learning to play the piano. These are all things that investors do. Maybe, and a lot of you need to become investors in the stock market. Become sophisticated. Open a you know Schwab account, a TD Ameritrade. Open up an account somewhere and start buying and selling stocks, even if you only have a hundred bucks. Become sophisticated. That's an investment in yourself, right? But it's okay. Decompress. Men, they find the reason men come home from work and lay on the couch and watch TV, it's a testosterone building uh, uh, exercise. Just laying there and staring out is how men rebuild their testosterone. I think uh, uh, Gray talks about that. John Gray, in one of his books, I think I read that. You know, he's a PhD and he studied why men are from Mars and women are from Venus. So in the same way, it's okay for you if you like Game of Thrones to watch an hour of it. But like Aristotle said, there's a balance. I find people spending their whole week playing video games. If you need to play video games, play for 20 minutes. Remember what my mom said. It's not what you do 90% of the time. Uh, what you do 10% of the time that kills you. It's what you do 90 Make sure the majority of your life is spent an investor. And the good news is it doesn't have to be painful. I'm not saying 90% of your life should be crappy. Remember, can, being an investor can be very fulfilling. It's fun to invest in the stock market. Once you get good at it, it's fun. My buddy was just here. I was One of my friends came by my house last week and we were having lunch and he was showing me he's really into trading small, small stocks, small cap stuff, penny stocks even. High risk stuff. And I don't recommend that for everybody, but this guy has a ton of money. So he just has a little bit of his money, uh, a small percentage of money in it. But he's like, I bought this one stock and, um, I bought it for like 60 cents a share and it went up to like five bucks. So he had invested, I don't know, 30 grand and made, he showed me on his phone. He had made like 80 grand that day, but. He then sold it because he's like, I don't want to be greedy. It made money. So it went up in value. He, he locked it in, locked in the profit. And, uh, he, it ended up going to like $16. So his money, he would have made like 5 million bucks. So he was kind of depressed, but he was happy. He made a couple hundred thousand bucks in a day or in a week or whatever. But he had one account. He had, he had several accounts and he said I had a small account that I forgot to sell it. So it got all the increase when it went up to like 16 bucks. So he's like, oh, I made, you know, a million bucks or whatever. So you don't think he's experiencing a lot of happiness as an investor? Sure. Now, let me just give a disclaimer. Do not, especially if you're a beginner, go out and buy penny stocks. It's a horrible opinion idea. This guy's made tens and, you know, I don't know exactly how much money he's made, but this guy made probably $100 million. So for him to... Do a million bucks in risky stuff is nothing. So don't, I want to put that out there because I don't want to be on the record telling people to invest in penny stocks. For most people, it's a, even he says it's a horrible thing to really invest in. You're better off to invest in tried and true uh, stuff. But I teach, one of the things I teach people in the mini uh, MBA program in this business school is how to use three bucket investment management, uh, uh, this concept. So there's a way where you can always have a little bit of I call it Las Vegas gambling money. It's okay to have a little bit of money. Just make sure you have a diversified portfolio and that you don't put too much into the high risk stuff. That's where people get into trouble. They're like, ooh, I went to Vegas and I put a hundred bucks down on blackjack. I did this the other day. I put a hundred bucks on black. I never gamble. I hate gambling, but I was in Vegas and I was just, 
I don't know, I put a hundred bucks down and I made like 500 bucks, but I quit immediately. I'm like, Ooh, but most people, what do they do? They're like, Ooh, I made it. I put a hundred bucks down, made 500. Ooh, let me put my whole life savings. And that's many people have committed suicide in Las Vegas. And it's the same way with the stock market. It's the same way with business. As I forget who says it, it might be Warren Buffett. He's like, don't invest anything in risky stuff that you're not prepared to lose. Right? So anyway, what my point of the whole story about Vegas and this and is that don't think that just because I'm saying more of your life at least two or three times more than being consumer, you should be an investor, that that means your life is going to be two or three times less exciting. It's not. Being an investor is much more exciting. It's just you need some balance in being, uh, uh, you know, of living in the moment. Okay. So going back to this and pulling this all together. I want you from here. Here's the task for you at hand until we talk again. I want you to go, all right, I'm going to, of course, you're going to call yourself by your real age. If you're 25, if you're 50, you can still, to other people, you don't want to sound insane. But I want you to go, I don't know my real age. Nobody knows my real age. I don't know how much longer. So you can say your age, but you and I, between ourselves, will be our little secret. Not to be cheesy, but you know, it'll be our understanding that most people understand that your real age is impossible to calculate. And so because of that, your homework, your, your mental assignment for yourself is to go, since I don't know, what do I need to speed up in my life? What are the things I've been going too slow? I've been going, I'm going to lose weight in a year. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not losing weight going to kill you before that year comes up. Or maybe you're somebody who's been so paralyzed. You're like, I just missed out. I made too many mistakes and I'm done. And you need to go, wait a sec. My real age says I might have another 30 years. Even if I'm 60 now, I might have another 30 years. My grandma, first marriage wasn't the happiest for her. And she was always, I remember, sad. I think because you know, she was married till my grandpa died. They were never uh, my grandpa was kind of a hard guy to live with. She wasn't that happy. But my grandma got remarried at like 80 years old. She found love. Again, when my grandpa died, she found an old friend uh, that she had known for many years before whose whose wife had died. And my grandma and him got married and lived happy, were very happy, right? So even there, my grandma had given up because she didn't understand time. She was like, oh, my first marriage didn't work out. Blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Like Stephen Hawking says, Time is mysterious. It's always moving forward. Now, there's a bad part of it moving forward. The bad part of time moving forward means you can run out of it, and we all will run out of it. Like Charles Barkley says, Father Time's undefeated. But you know what's even more positive? That's the negative note that we understand. But the positive is, since time's moving forward, that means your past losses, if you deal with them correctly, are phantoms. They're illusions. You move forward. Times you have no choice. It's moving you forward. So for that reason, you can be content in this moment, in today's date. But you got to understand, don't be paralyzed by that past. Learn from it and use it to accelerate your investment in yourself, but move forward with this. Some of you, you need to go faster. Some of you, you just need to start moving and not live and wallow in your regret. Boy, regret is a powerful thing. It's an adaptive feature. You know, Dr. David Buss would say, I, I talked about this paper they did on why people regret having sex with certain people. You know, what, what was the regret? Well, it's a functional process in the brain. 
We still have it in our brain, as I call the whisper of 10,000 generations. You and I have 10,000 generations telling us, if you sleep with the wrong person, a lot of bad things can come out of that. Whether that be, you know, some physical illness comes from it, or it can come from having a ch- being locked in with the wrong person. So, of course, regret is important. Don't ever spend too much time around somebody who says, I have no regrets, because basically, you know you're dealing with a delusional person. What you want is be around people who say, you know what? I've, I had tremendous uh, regrets and mistakes. I took the time. I went on a trip. I locked myself in a hotel room. I mapped out what brought me to that place. What I learned from it. What I should have done differently. I took it. I pondered it. Maybe for a week, maybe for a month, maybe for a year. But eventually, I took that piece of paper and I burned it. Michael Jordan, there's a cool story. After they had won all these championships with the Chicago Bulls and the coach, Phil Jackson, one of the greatest, well, the most winning coach in pro basketball history, I think. He came and he said, tomorrow, bring a piece of paper, bring a poem, bring something that describes, you know, we've won all these championships. Bring a piece of paper where you write down a poem, a thought that you want to share with the rest of the team. And it's interesting, you know, Michael Jordan was known as this, not a super sensitive guy. And he brought this poem in and he read it about what the team meant to him and this experience and just everybody was, they turned the lights off. They were like in this quiet place. He was known as the, Phil Jackson was the Zen coach. He was very kind of spiritual and Eastern and, and they sat there and Michael Jordan read that. And after all the players had read it, Phil Jackson took those pieces of paper and he put it in a can and he burned it. And he said, this is just for us to be in this moment and to remember It's not going to be used by the media. It's not going to be resold, even though someone said that poem by Michael Jordan would be easily worth a million bucks. But there is something sacred about that uh, learning period, that that process they had gone through. So for some of you with regrets, you can do the same thing. But I don't want you to be either extreme. I want you to be like Aristotle said. He said the good life is hard to find because the good life is the balance between. It's not being paralyzed by regret and not having too little regret. It's having precisely the correct amount of regret. I want you to have the right amount of regret. I want it to be a functional purpose. Just like Dr. David Buss says, the reason people regret sleeping with people is there's a lesson to be learned from, you know, associating with the wrong person. Learn the lesson. Don't ignore the lesson. But yet, don't be paralyzed or else it's no longer functional. Remember, things are supposed to be functional. A scientist, you know, anthropologist or a biologist understanding of functional is things that serve a purpose. No emotion exists in you in balance that doesn't serve a purpose or else it would have been weeded out through the 10,000 generations of, uh, of adaption that's been processing. I was reading in this book, uh, uh, Inheritance, where it was talking about Sherpas, uh, the people that live high in the Himalayas that help people trek to the top of Mount Everest. And they said those people group has only been there about 500 years, since about the 1500s. And uh, interestingly enough, they said it's the fastest example of human uh, adaption. In 500 years, their lungs and the way the blood, the thickness of their blood, I don't remember all the technical things. So you and I are tremendously adaptable, right? You can get through the regrets. You can change your mindset. 
you can change the mindset that you have a ton of time. Or for some of you that you have no time, you can change it. You know, they say an old dog can't learn new tricks. It's not true. Old dogs can't. I I read an interesting scientific uh, report. It's just a little harder. You got to be a little more courageous. The older you are, the little more, more set in your ways. You might need to listen to recordings like this two or three times where an 18-year-old could just listen once. But you know, that's okay. You can still learn. Like Michael Jordan said when he's playing basketball when he got older, he's won in his later championships when he's 33, 34, which is old in basketball. He's like, I learned to compensate for my inability to jump as high as I could when I was 22 or 23 and I came to play pro basketball. Now I got savvy. So I, it evens out. It evens out. He worked out a little. He was older. And he's like, I can't go on my natural ability. So him and Scottie Pippen and Ron Harper formed this breakfast club. And they would work out. And they would work out with this trainer. And they would get healthier and healthier. And work out a little harder. You may need to do that. In fact, you do need to do that. Older you are, you're going to have to work a little harder. The good news is you got have lots of skills from the time you've been on this planet that will give you an advantage over being young. It all balances out. Balance is the key. Balance is the key. Aristotle was a wise person. And it's interesting to me as I read that book uh, about uh, Alexander the Great where I had to think, boy, this man... Alexander the Great, mentored by, um, mentored by the greatest or one of the greatest thinkers of all time. And what was the accomplishment that he was able to do from that mentor, from that learning, from sitting at the feet of wise people and making war with a multitude of counselors? He conquered the world. You can conquer the world. It doesn't mean literally the world. You can conquer your world. You can take the strings of your fate. You're going to have to do it by understanding time. You have to do it by removing disabling ignorance. You're going to have to set the bar a little higher. You're going to have to hang out with different people. You're going to have to do a little bit differently than the consumer-driven world that you live in. You don't have to completely get rid of all consumer attitudes. It's okay to buy new shoes. It's okay to do this. But you're going to have to double down on being an investor. Investors win in the end. You'll be that balance between now and tomorrow. Don't worry about how would you live if you knew you'd live, uh, you die today. That's a dumb question. Ask yourself this question, the more nuanced and balanced question. How would you live if you knew today you might die or you might die in 50 years? That's the question. See how much more interesting that question is? How would you live if you knew you might die today or you might not die for 50 years? Because that's the reality of your life. And I'm going to tell you, everything we've just talked about over this last hour, that's the answer. You would be a little bit of an investor and a little bit of a consumer. You would do a little bit for today and you would do a little bit for tomorrow. You would go a little faster on things. And on some things, you would relax a little bit and not be so freaked out. You would find that middle way. I want you to find that. So I want you to answer this question. Thank you so much. A lot of you are writing in to me and answering these questions. If you really want to get a lot about this, because some people just are listeners. Oh, I just like to listen. You don't get as much as the uh, the Dalai Lama talks about this in the, the his book uh, Beyond Religion that I was just talking about. How you got to put it in action. So I'm asking you right now to get the big bang for the buck. Put it in action. If you're listening on a podcast, leave a review that gives your answer to this question. 
You don't have to just leave a regular review. You can leave, oh, I like the podcast, but answer this question. What things do you need to go faster on and what things do you need to relax and let them happen? Right? What areas of your life do you need to stop procrastinating and what areas of your life do you need to go, it's okay, I made some mistakes, but I got time. I have time. So if you're on podcast, leave this as a comment. If you are on YouTube, leave it as a comment. I'm sorry, if you're on podcast, leave it as a review. If you're on YouTube, leave it as a comment. If you're on Facebook, comment. If you're on my site, which is the best way, for those who are new to, to what I'm doing, go to tylopez.com. Uh, join this. Uh, you'll get 67 steps to greatness, to millionaire, whatever you want to do. You'll get that free outline that I'm giving out. Everything I've learned uh, from my 12 business partners and five mentors and being to 51 countries and reading thousands and thousands of books and reading a book a day. Uh, my TED Talk will be out, so you can check me out on TED. Uh, Twitter, I have a pretty big following, 160,000 people or so. So you can answer this question on Twitter, at Ty Lopez. Um, but the best way is my site, because that's a central place. And you can talk to me in the inbox of my site, tylopez.com. When you put in your email, it'll make a free account for you where you can actually email. And I talk to people back and forth. People are always blown away because I respond. So sometimes it takes me a few days, but I will get back to you. Uh, as best I can. And uh, you can also email me if you're driving at ty at tylopez.com or when you stop driving, I should say. Check out my lifestyle. You can see in pictures on Instagram. My Instagram is tylopez1, the number one. All right. But answer that question for me, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, on my inbox, on my site, whether it's emailing me, YouTube, podcast reviews. I know social media can go crazy, LinkedIn, all these things. I'm on everything. But answer that because by answering it, you will begin to affect a cause. Uh, your cause will begin to go into effect. Wittgenstein, the great philosopher, he talked about the power of language, the power of words. I'm not totally a believer in the secret or the law of attraction, but as Wittgenstein said, you know, words express reality. He said, if a lion would could speak, we wouldn't understand the lion. It's a deep thought, deep thinker. But words are important. So write down in words. Say them. Leave me a, you know, uh, if you if you can't, I think on Twitter you can send me a voice file if you want to send me or email me a little voice memo. But get in there. What are you going too slow on and what are you been paralyzed with when it comes to time? Go out there. Forget how old your chronological age is. It's relatively unimportant. It's a little bit important to understand, you know, if you're over 40, go to the doctor for checkup. Yes, yes, yes. Statistically, your age from the day that you left your mother's womb is important. But in terms of big picture things, it's less important than people think. What's going forward is important. Physics and the understanding, quantum physics and the understanding of time and the things that Stephen Hawking talked about or this friend that was published in Nature talking about us being on the, on, just being a blip on a black hole. Time's fascinating. It's mysterious. It's the great unknown. The better you master it, the better you master your life. Remember, pick up that book. Uh, check out the show notes also on my site. They'll be up in a few days. Tylopez.com. Uh, Contiki. Get that book. Get that courage to be an explorer and take the strings of life and move them around. Move them around into that area that's beneficial for you. And I'll leave you with a fascinating quote here. Stephen Hawking, he says, one, 
Remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Two, never give up work. Work gives you meaning and purpose and life is empty without it. Three, if you're lucky enough to find love, remember it is there and don't throw it away. You see what he was saying there? It's a beautiful quote because he was saying, number one, look up to the stars. What he's saying is respect the universe that's bigger than you. Respect father time. And then he said, how do you do that? Well, don't give up working. That's the investor mentality. Work for the future. It will make you happy and it will get you, it will keep you alive. But he said, last, if you have love, which is being in the moment, be a consumer and enjoy it. That's part of being a consumer, right? You enjoy the moment with those people that you love, those friends, family, and romance. So it's a great way by one of the greatest thinkers uh, of our time, Stephen Hawking. So I can't end on a better note than a great thinker, someone a hundred times smarter and wiser than me. So I'll leave you there. I hope to talk to you soon. Thanks so much.